Well, hey, so we're super excited to sit down with you. If you haven't met these guys, so we got Ernie Benoit here, church plan candidate for 2021. Beast. <laughs> there was a whole like chat last week going on who would win between a wrestling. I think you would you'd win. I've no wrestling. The only thing that's true. That is absolutely fight, true. Maybe me. I, I'm so like tempted yeah. to like do something weird with the camera, you know, like walk up to it or you know open yeah, my eyes. Face, really, like yeah. WC. Yeah, I would beat you in a wrestling wrestling match. match yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Knife fight. Yeah, and I, I know. know all the tricks. Like if you like rub someone's ribs really hard, it like hurts really bad. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And then Laura Benson. I didn't do the mat thing. Our associate salt director. She is incredible. If you haven't had the chance to meet her, she is awesome, and. We should probably, Ernie and I should probably just ask you questions and then just learn from you. This there we time, go. So. That wouldn't be that exciting. I want to give you a hard time, though, for you calling people up for eating spaghetti. Like, what if they're just eating dinner? I don't think that's the weirdest thing that could be happening. I just wish there was like a bowl of spaghetti right here for him. To okay. Have right if now. you're eating supper right now crazy, at 817, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's not my ideal time to eat. My ideal time to eat supper, which it is supper. Dinner is the, the orienting meal of the day. So supper, you know, you got <laughs> breakfast, lunch, and supper, and then whichever meal is the orienting meal of the day, that's dinner. So supper, 4.45, between 4.45 and 5.15. That is my ideal time to eat supper. Are you I like, love it. Are you like 65? Grandpa over there. <laughs> got to beat the 80-year-olds to the Golden like Corral. The you know, got to get, get in there before. Are you 15 or are you 65? <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you watch, if you eat between four, if you eat at 445, you can eat in 15 minutes. Then you watch the 5 o'clock evening news on Channel 7, Ron Steele. Yeah. And then you're a 65-year-old. 530, you get Lester Holt. <laughs> what more do you want in an evening? Are then you, you hungry have, by bedtime, though? Well, at 6 p.m., you have a half hour to do dishes, and at 6.30, you get Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> you are in your So 60s. there you go. That is, that's a great night. And then you get an hour, you play kidding. with the kids, go on a walk, I don't think put he's them kidding. down. <laughs> I don't think he's kidding. <laughs> and then you eat a bowl of popcorn or raisin bran with a scoop of peanut butter in it. <laughs> okay. Hey, so let's start this dating panel. So if you got a Bible with you, go ahead and grab it. Um, the way we're going to do this is we actually have a text number here. Is it there? I'm going to just peek there at the cheese. Yep. Right here. Oh, yes. So throughout this dating panel, we would love ultimately to answer the questions that you have. So we have a list of several questions here that we've prepared a little bit of content for and we'll dialogue in this first 30 minute segment of the night. Then we're going to see a video, do another worship song, and then we're going to come back on the back end and do a Q&A portion. Throughout this, so throughout the whole time, be texting that phone number, and then we'll be able to work through those questions and, and answer as many as we can on the back half of the night. So we're going to take the next 25 minutes or so, work through several questions, pause, return to worship, and then uh, on the back end of that, come back for some Q&A time. So if you got a Bible, here's the first question that we are going to be approaching when we think about dating. It's this, how does the Bible shape our view of dating? So if you got a Bible, turn to Genesis 2. It's, it's one of the first, you know, couple pages of your Bible, first book of the Bible, Genesis 2. 
So if you're familiar with the Bible at all, Genesis 1, God creates everything. Genesis 2 gives uh, a retelling of that same story. And then in Genesis 3, you get the fall of humanity when sin enters the world. So prior to that moment, when sin enters the world, when Adam and Eve rebelled against God, you get this verse in Genesis 2. And this is what happens. God in Genesis 2.24 establishes the institute of marriage. So here's what he says. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. So right here before the fall of humanity, when everything is in perfection, everything is operating the way it should according to God's design, God creates the institute of marriage. And, and this marriage is, is a good thing. It's a gift. It's a symbol of God's love for us. It ultimately depicts the relationship that God created us to have with him. And he creates this right here between Adam and Eve, the Institute of Marriage. And it's a gift. So then as you go through the Bible, as, as you continue to go through, you get uh, very definitive uh, instructions for how Christians should approach marriage. Uh, we should approach it with fidelity to one another between man and wife. That means faithfulness. I'm not uh, cheating on my spouse. Uh, we should approach it with a heart of love and mutual submission, the things that Ernie was sharing about last week, um, with care and tenderness towards one another, ultimately so that it's a picture of God's love and relationship that he desires to have with us. So that's the instructions you get for marriage throughout the whole thing. But what the Bible gives little instruction for is the process by which we should find a spouse. So then throughout the last you know, 4,000 years, uh, even longer maybe since you get this command, God has allowed for cultures to determine how they will go through this process of finding a spouse. So you have some cultures that arrange marriages where your mom and dad have another family of mine, they have a daughter, you're a son, and they're like, yep, let's get them together. I'll give this family a pig, and it's all great, and it's awesome. That's how some cultures do it, and that's great, and God, God allows room for that. Uh, some cultures, you have a period of time where you develop interest for one another, you enter into some sort of non-binding relationship commitment together to explore your compatibility and everything, and then at some point or another, you decide whether or not you break up or you get engaged. That's our culture. Uh, there's other cultures that I've heard of where you put all the names in a hat and then you draw a name and that's who you're with. No, that does not happen. But some of you guys are like twos out there and you're wishing that was how it was done here. It's like, man, I, the odds of me getting a girl out of my league would be way higher if we just drew names <laughs> from a hat. Twos, I, I'm thinking Enneagram. Oh, no, oh, no not Enneagram. No, like your looks are a two. You know who you are. You have self-awareness. And you're like, man, I would totally take the name out of a hat option right now. <laughs> the Enneagram, what is Enneagram 2? The helper. The helper. We didn't know what you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, no, I'm <laughs> talking about looks and attractiveness. I, names of men in our ministry are coming to my mind right now. I won't say who you are. Okay, I, I definitely won't, but I was tempted, <laughs> held my tongue. That was good. So God gives us this institute of marriage and clearly defines what it is, but then gives us, a process, gives us freedom in the process of how we find a spouse. Now, the reason why that's important is because knowing that helps us to understand the purpose of dating. The purpose of dating is the process by which we find a spouse, that we would enter into a marriage that would give the world a picture of God's desire to have a relationship with us.
That inside that relationship, there's love and care, mutual submission, leadership, respect, all of those virtues that God commands throughout scripture for marriage. So that is important to know that dating is not just an end in itself, but is actually a means to another end. So knowing that helps us to avoid two ditches. So there's two potential ditches. There's probably more ditches out there, but two that come to mind uh, as we think about dating. One is some of us have a, a way too casual mindset when it comes to dating. We have no intentionality in the process by which we date. We just think, hey, I'm gonna date whoever. It doesn't really matter. It's all about a good time. And I, have, I give no thought to the end that dating is supposed to get me to, which is the process by which I find a spouse. And so I just casually date and it's super informal and I give no intentional thought to that dating process. On the other end, uh, there's many of us who fall into the trap of an idolatrous view of marriage and romantic relationships where we almost take it too serious, where we uh, think that if we can just find that perfect person or just find that spouse, then my desire for affection and approval and all my needs and everything will be satisfied finally. And I'm incomplete without this romantic relationship. And that is also another ditch because what the Bible will ultimately say is that marriage is a great thing that is a gift, but it's not an ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is a relationship with God that was brought about through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is the ultimate thing. Now, inside of that relationship, we can have the freedom and even desire to have the good gifts that God has provided. But that's the view that the, of dating and marriage that the Bible is gonna present to us. So here's some other questions that we wanna work through tonight. So the first one that comes to mind, we're gonna kind of work through these in somewhat of a chron- chronological order. But... Uh, Stepping back, even before we get into dating, how do we think about singleness, the stage of singleness? So Laura, I'm gonna have you uh, speak to that. Yeah, so it's important in a conversation about dating. Probably a lot of people watching are single right now. If you hadn't noticed, 75% of the room is females. We have a little bit of off ratio in Salt Company. So there's probably a lot of single people watching right now, right? So it's important to frame in, in a conversation about dating, frame in singleness and the fact that singleness, both in college and outside of college, beyond college, is not a lesser way of living, right? Singleness is not God withholding some good from you. Because contrary to what every Hallmark movie will have you believe, your greatest purpose in life is not to find romantic fulfillment. Your greatest good is not that you would find the one, but that you'd be found by Christ and that you'd pursue him daily after that. Um, You're also not like made complete when you get married or when you're in a relationship. You're not incomplete without that. So I was at a wedding a couple years ago and um, at one point in the ceremony, the pastor looked at the bride and groom and essentially said something like, man, before today, you two were incomplete, but now you're being made whole because you've found the one. And I just wanted to throw up in my mouth because I was like, that's not true. You were not, you were not like not whole until the moment you said I do. Um, our, our wholeness, our completion does not come by being um, married to another sinful human being. It comes only through the blood of Christ, right? It only can come through the redemption we have on the cross. And so um, you're not a lesser person if you are not dating, if you're not in a relationship, if you're not married. Um, if we really thought singleness um, was kind of a lesser worth or you were not whole without a spouse, what would we be saying about Jesus, 
right, who was the most perfect and complete human being who ever lived and was single? Or what would, we, what would we be saying about Paul, who is the apostle that wrote the book that we've been walking through, Ephesians, and actually who gives us the most wisdom and advice throughout scriptures on marriage. Um, actually, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that he wishes more people could be like him. He wishes more people could be single because there is intrinsic value in singleness. And I genuinely believe all the more so in college there is good in being single. So it just takes time to date people. You you have less time when you're dating. You just do. And you're freed up when you're not dating somebody to be pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly, to be um, walking in your faith, growing your faith, growing in maturity. Um, you have more time potentially for ministry, to be caring for the people in your connection group, seeking relationships that are full of discipleship, um, seeking to share the gospel with people, looking for opportunities to serve in your church and in your community. Um, there's also just time for a lot of fun in college that you don't have opportunity for outside of college. Um, just the friendships and, and roommates and things like that. When I was in college, I always lived with um, my best friends. And I remember my senior year, I lived in a house of six girls and we just had so much fun. And I'm so glad we didn't wish that time away. There, Those five ladies are all married now and would say and have said at times, I love my husband and he's a great roommate. But man, those were really fun days that we got to live together and just enjoy that time. And so don't wish these years away. Don't pine for these days to be over because they're good. Um, yeah, it would be far more tragic for you to leave college without having invested in your relationship with the Lord and your relationship with others' friendships than it would be if you were to leave college without getting a ring by spring. So find your priorities there. Um, no, though, hear me say it's not bad to desire marriage. That's a good desire. It's a good thing to want. It's a good thing to pray for. It's a good thing to like passionately pray for and really, really want. Um, marriage, like Stephen said, is a good gift. Um, but I also believe it's worse to be in a lonely marriage um, than to be lonely by yourself. A bad marriage is way worse than being single. I assure you of that. So have high standards. Like, yeah, it's better to be single than to settle. So don't date somebody. Don't marry somebody that doesn't love the Lord passionately. Don't date somebody because you really have a big, like, idol of a relationship, but because you like that person. Um, and I'll wrap up by saying, the reason I genuinely think you can be okay and and genuinely enjoy singleness and why I can be okay being single is that marriage is a shadow of something that is to come. So it's a picture of one day when Christ and his bride, the church, will come together and we will get to experience unity forever. It's a good picture. It's a good gift. It's a good shadow. Um, but the real thing is far better than the shadow. So if in this life I don't have the shadow, I'll be fine. I'll be okay because I'll have the reality one day. So know that true joy and fulfillment can only come from Christ. It's right to long for a sense of value, affirmation, worth, love, things like that. But those things can ultimately only be found in Christ primarily and not in a boyfriend or girlfriend. That's great. That's great. Thank you, Laura. So another question that we often get that is just straight up practical is how to start dating. How do you start dating if you see someone that you form interest in, like how do you begin this process? So I'm going to give you a very simple explanation. And if you have 
specific questions or your situation is more nuanced than what I'm about to present, ask it. Text us that question. So here is what I believe. I believe that most of us make something that should be fairly simple, very complex. I, I totally believe that we take something that's fairly simple and make it complex. Because here's what dating is. You form interest in someone, you communicate that interest to them, you go on a date to see if there's any, if that interest is legitimate. And then after that you date, you go on another date. And then after that date, you go on another date. And then at some point you say, hey, I like you and I want to commit to you in a non-binding dating relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend. You want to do that? And the other person says, yeah, I want to do that. Then you continue dating in that way until one of two things happens. You break up or you get engaged. That is all dating is. And that's probably too simple and there's probably exceptions and you're probably blowing up the comments feed, which whatever, I don't care. Text us those questions. But that is really what dating is. And so how do you start dating? Here's what I think. If you have interest in someone, you've observed someone, someone's caught your eye, ask them on a date. Ask them on a date. It is so much easier to determine whether or not you should date someone by dating them than trying to manipulate these, like all these weird interactions with them over the course of three months to figure out if both of you like each other. When Natalie and I started dating, neither of us, we had never hung out together outside of like Salt Company. We had random like interactions. We had never hung out with one another and we didn't like each other going into our first date. We were just interested. Very quickly, I liked her a lot because she's awesome. And now I love her so much. And I told her I loved her very quickly after that first date because she is awesome. But that's how it works. It's like, man, I'm interested in this person. I want to get to know them more. So I'm going to take them on a date because that's the best way to figure out if I should date them is to date them. That's how you do it. <laughs> now, I get if you're a girl, like I know that there's some like cultural like challenges that you face um, because we'll often hear like, hey, can girls ask out guys? Here's what I would say is probably wise. I think because of the nature of the vulnerable position it puts you in to ask someone out, it's probably wise for guys to typically be the one to ask the gal out on a date. But for the girl, there are ways that you can communicate interest and make yourself available to that guy in appropriate ways that would make it easier for him to ask you out on a date, if you know what I mean, right? Yes. Yes, there are ways to communicate interest and to, to make yourself available, even if, if you're a girl. Now, if, if you have a story where you're a girl and you asked a guy out on a date, I'll just give you a high five and say, sweet, if it worked out, great. If it worked out bad, I'll be like, ah, oh, man, shoot. So that is how you start dating. I think it's pretty simple. If you want more, ask the questions. But once you're dating, how do you date well, Ernie? Yeah, and we're, there's a lot of opinions about this. Like people, everybody wants to get in a relationship, not so they could break up, but so that it works out, that they have a long-lasting relationship, right? And I'm just like, ah, whatever. And if you're with that kind of person, you should break up with them right now, if that's their attitude towards it. But we want to be in these long-lasting relationships that lead the marriage. And so we want to do the things in our relationship that would help foster the good foundation for a marriage. And there's a lot of really bad advice out there. Like if you go and Google, which is like my favorite place to look up bad advice, and you just Google like what makes relationships last, 
Oh my goodness. It is just, don't take any of it seriously. It's terrible, terrible stuff. Like, it's just like, it's all about like kick the tire. You maybe should live together for a little while, you know, sleep around, make sure you like the same things. And, and, and what the scripture tells us is pretty much the exact opposite of all of that and trying to figure out a spouse, like complete opposite. And, and we look at that, people look at, they go, man, Christians aren't any fun. They're missing out. How can you live with somebody or get married to somebody you never slept with or doing these things with? Well, guess what? The reality is that when we pursue people through God's design of how we should pursue people, the principles following scripture and the things that he's telling us we should do or that we shouldn't do or the things that we should do within certain contexts, then guess what? That is setting us up for great marriages. It's setting us up for great, long-lasting relationships. In fact, the scripture says this in Proverbs 4.23. It says, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. I had a friend in college, he just became a believer, and he started dating a girl, and the girl said, hey, I'll need to guard my heart. And he was like, okay, cool. And he's like, Ernie, I didn't know what that meant, so I went home and Googled it. I still don't know what that means. I just saw a bunch of stuff about like heart medicine or exercising, just trying to keep my heart healthy. Like, what is he, what is he talking, is she talking about? I was like, okay, this is what this means, guys. It means that your heart is meant to be something that is protected, not flaunted, Right? In fact, research is actually pointing to this principle. There's this really smart guy, his name's John Van Epp, and he created, he wanted to know, hey, what made the healthiest relationships? And so he created, did a bunch of research and didn't create this relationship attachment model that I want to kind of share with you, that the world is actually looking at what scripture says and not, not he, I don't know if he's a believer, I don't know if he followed after Christ or anything like that. I just know that he said, this is what, this is what healthy relationships, this is how they're formed and how you create healthy relationships. He said, there's five bonding dynamics and they have to progress in order. In fact, I have a little bit of graphic I'm gonna throw up for you. He said, this is the first one. He says, the first thing that needs to happen is you need to know one another, meaning you get to know that person by talking to them, okay? He's not talking about the biblical version of getting to know someone. He's talking about actually getting to know them, just like speaking to them. The second thing is this, is that you trust them, that as you get to know someone and you get to understand, uh, you get the pieces of knowledge about who they are, you get a dynamic picture of that person and you know them more, then you can better begin to trust them. Knowing comes first, then trust develops. Then the third thing is you rely on them, all right? Relying refers to the action of following from trust, okay? I trust you, now I'm actually asking you to do things and I'm relying on this to happen for you. The fourth is this, that you'd commit. You'd, have com- you'd commit to that person. Uh, commitment's a really cool word. It has this idea of like the definition of like ownership or belonging in a relationship. When we talk about commitment between two people, we're talking about the extent to which you feel like you belong to someone or that they belong to you. And, and, and measure and degree of commitment in your relationship is really important. Now here's the last one he said, touch, touch, okay? Now, if you notice that, you gotta, I see it, how I'm scaled up is that they're meant to go in order and one can't get ahead of the other. Okay, so you wouldn't, you don't, you don't trust someone more than you know them. You don't rely on someone more than you trust them. You don't commit to someone more than you rely on them and you don't touch someone more than you're committed to them. Okay, okay. And, and when we get them out of order, it goes real bad. It goes real bad. Like when we, and, and you can even just kind of move these dials up and down a certain area. Say like touch is all the way up and knowing is all the way to the bottom, all the other way to the bottom. Like that's not a relationship. Okay, that's tender. That's just hooking up. Okay, and that's not healthy at all. And when we see that we get these dials out of, out of whack, man, it causes problems. And, and the problem is, guys, we're in such a hurry. We're in such a rush. We can take it off that slide. Oh, we did. Okay, cool. Uh, we're in such a hurry. We're in such a, a, a rush 
to get through this, uh, to get to this thing, to get to touch and to get all that kind of stuff like that. And we just need to slow down. The Bible talks to us about that. In Psalm, Song of Solomon, it says this in chapter two, verse seven, it says, I adjourn you, meaning like I charge you, O daughter of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Now, I don't know what you know about gazelles. I don't know a whole lot about them, but I know what he's talking about in this moment because I'm a deer hunter and we live in Iowa. You guys see deer. You know why hunters hunt in the fall? It's because the does go into heat and the bucks go crazy. They go absolutely crazy. In fact, deer will go so crazy that some of them will run themselves to death protecting a doe from another buck to breed the doe. Like they won't eat, they won't sleep, they will fight to death and they will die for that. Like they go absolutely nuts. And that's like some of us. Like we just like, we just go, we get in a relationship, we go absolutely crazy like it's never gonna like we, we think it's like we treat them like they're if we don't kiss them that in that moment, like their lips are gonna run away. You know, like you won't see them anymore. And we're always in such a hurry, but what, what scripture tells us is hey, you need to slow down. You need to, there's gonna be a time where passion can run white hot like that in the right context. There's gonna be a time, there's a place that God's created for that to be. But right now, what you can do to grow your relationship, to have a successful relationship, is focus on that first style of getting to know one another. So as you get to know one another, I'm gonna quickly run through these. There's kind of like five C's that I think are really important as you evaluate your relationship. Don't pull out a grading paper on someone, please. All right, and be like, where do we fit on these? Don't do that, all right? But it's just something to think about, about how your relationship's developed. And I'm, and I'm gonna list them in this, little, in this little triangle. I call it my triangle of love, okay? Yeah, we got that. And now the top one is gonna be, the first one you're gonna notice, but it's the, but. Honestly, it's the one that matters the least, but it has to be there. So the first C is this, chemistry, okay? As you're gonna know someone, see, do you have chemistry, all right? Are you attracted to one another? Do you have things in common? Do your strengths complement one another? Like, you may not like to do all the same things. Me and my wife, we'll be married 10 years tomorrow, all right? And uh, she likes to run. I'm only running if there's a ball involved or an animal's chasing me, okay? And so, but she loves it. She thought she was gonna marry a runner. She didn't, but, but we complement one another really well. The second C is this, communication. Communication, as you're looking at, as you're dating someone, see how they communicate with you. Do they disclose too much too fast? Like you're on date two and they're telling you their sexual history. You're like, whoa, all right? How do they communicate with you? you got, ladies, how do they communicate with you? How do they pursue you in their communication? Are they like sliding in your DMs and be like, you up? Like, okay, that's revealing something about them, okay? How, how do they fight? How do they deal with conflict? Because you're going to have conflict. Conflict's a reality, people being around one another. But are they explosive? Do they storm out? Do they avoid it? Like, how do they deal with it? Ladies, like, li- listen to me, ladies. If he hits things now, he's going to hit you later. Like, he's not in control of himself. You should get out. Guys, if when she gets mad, she starts verbally destroying you and tearing down your character and your personhood, or she, has, or she goes, puts on certain clothes and goes, gets the attention of other guys to make you jealous, get out now. That's a person that's not in control of themselves. They don't know how to deal with conflict. Look at how they treat their parents. Guys, the way that she respects her dad is gonna tell you a lot about how she's gonna respect you as a husband. The way, listen to me, ladies, the way that he treats his mom is gonna tell you a lot about how he's going to treat you one day in a marriage. It's true, it's true. Look at his parents, how do they communicate? What can you learn from them? Because that's what he's seen his entire life. The next C is this, their character. Listen, a highly polished, skilled, 
skills in the hands of someone that has poor conscience makes for a manipulative and self-serving partner? How consistent are their attitudes and behaviors with what they say they believe? Guys, does, does her Instagram represent what she says about what's important? Ladies, does, does what he like and looks at on social media, does it represent what he think is important? What rights and wrongs do you feel strongly about? How do you handle it? How do you handle it when they're wrong? Are they others focused or focused on themselves? Can they take care of themselves? Please, ladies, don't mother a boy. All right? He can do his homework. He can cook his own dinner. He needs to be able to stand on his own two feet. Don't mother a boy. The next thing is this. Do you share the same convictions? Meaning, do you share the same values? Uh, do you feel the same way about eternity? Uh, do you pursue Christ in the same way that you would pursue, like, you know, in the same level? Not are you both Christians, but are, do you both go to church? Or do you both read the Bible? But do you both have the same kind of pursuit of Jesus that you are running at the same pace and the same quickness? Now, as I kind of look at all these, these four, we're gonna talk about the last one in, in one minute. As I look at these, like, there's a lot of space for some of you in the room, I know, or some of you watching this to go, I've never felt lovable in this list. I see how I fail over and over and over and over and over again. And like, Ernie, this list just destroyed me. That's not what I'm trying to do. That's not the heart of this at all. I wanna give you a lens to evaluate where are the areas that growth needs to take in your life and in that person's life. And really, are you a good fit relationally? And if you're like, man, I've blown it up. I've been a mess my whole life. Here's the one thing you need to understand is that God is a God that gives grace and grace abundantly. So whatever your past is, God forgives it. In fact, I love this passage in Isaiah that God says this, God says this. He says, come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Man, some of us need to hear that when we talk about relationships because we've had a rocky road. The last thing is this, and then Steve, I'm gonna turn it back over to you, is Christ's love. Christ's love needs to be the center of your relationship. And what I mean by that is if the relationship is not about magnifying God's love in the other person, you will not have a great relationship. If your relationship, guys, is about bringing glory to yourself and not about magnifying Christ in that, it's not gonna last because you're gonna need God's love to have a relationship that lasts. I've been married 10 years, be 10 years tomorrow. And if it wasn't for Christ's work in me and my wife's heart, like, I don't know if we would be married because there's hard times. And so we need to learn to love, give grace, mercy, forgiveness, all those things. All right, I'm sorry, I went way too long. Oh, no, that was amazing. That was awesome. Uh, so, and one, like a simple way to look at that pyramid is like, man, if those five things are present, then great, get married. On the other hand, if at, let's say at some point in your relationship, you begin to realize, hey, these aren't present. And at a certain point you decide, man, this thing needs to end. Laura, how should you go about ending a relationship? How, how do we break up? Yeah. yeah, whether it's breaking up or just not wanting to go on a date, really in all of those scenarios, clarity is better than um, trying to not hurt somebody's feelings. So being honest um, is better than being nice. It's more loving, to be honest, than to just try to couch things in niceties that don't mean anything. So communication is key. Um, if somebody asks you out for the first time and you're not interested, you're not obligated to go on a first date with anybody. Um, whether it's you're not interested or they're not a believer, like just just say no thank you. Usually I think a good thing to say is, man, thanks so much for your boldness in asking me. I'm sorry, but I'm just not interested. 
you can leave it at that and that is perfectly fine. You can walk away with that and feel like you did your job. Um, it's not that awkward. Um, if you've been going on a couple dates and you decide you don't wanna go on a second or third or fourth date, you can at any point say, I think I'm not interested in you. And that can be it. If you're dating and want to break up, if there's a level of commitment and you do wanna break up, um, pain in that scenario is going to be inevitable. So, so don't try to do everything you can to mitigate, um, yeah, just not having pain in that scenario. Again, honesty is really the best way to go. Um, saying something like, I don't want to be in a relationship anymore and, and just being honest and real. Um, if there's some reasons, like if you have concrete reasons, give them, but don't be cruel about it. You don't necessarily need to list through everything you don't like about them or their <laughs> least favorite hairstyle. That of, noise you yeah. make with your mouth. Oh. Yeah. You don't Show them they're great on the pyramid. <laughs> so here's how you rank on character. Yeah, but if there's reasons, tell them. You don't need to be vague about it. Um, how much clarity you ought to give probably depends on how much commitment there's been in their relationship to that point um, or how much time you've been with them. If you're the one being broken up with, then don't dig and dig and dig for more clarity. Seek to, like, listen to what they said and don't seek for more understanding than that. Um, the fact that they don't want to be with you should be enough of a reason for you not to be, for you to not want to be with them. So um, let it go at that point. Um, a few things not to say. Don't add on the like not right now or um, not yet. Just remove the possibility of hope. So don't say I'm not interested right now or I don't think I'm ready right now. Um, it'll just add confusion and then that person will be wondering if that was kind of a code to ask you out two months later. Um, so just let there be clarity in that. If, if you have clarity in that, put out the clarity. Um, don't say it's not you, it's me. That's just a cop out. Don't say God's telling me to break up with you. Don't blame it on God, just own it. Um, yeah, the pain of a breakup, that breakups can be really painful, but the pain of a breakup pales in comparison to the pain of being in a relationship that you shouldn't be in. Mm. So lean into that. Yeah, just walk through that. Acknowledge it'll be weird. It'll be awkward, but it's okay. It's better than being in a relationship or marriage you shouldn't be in. Yeah. So here's the reality. As I've done college ministry, what I know to be true is that for many of you, the, the single most area where you feel maybe the weight of your brokenness or there's so much pain um, from past experiences and stuff uh, is this area of dating. And, and that's a reality. And Ernie began touching on that, that it's like, man, the reality of the forgiveness that we have in Christ is a real thing. And, and what Christ did for us on the cross, uh, the thing that we're gonna be celebrating this weekend, didn't just remove the guilt of our sin, it also removed the shame of our sin and it also provided healing from our sin. Um, and, and the sin of others. If, if you've been hurt, not just I've sinned inside dating relationships, but I've been hurt because of dating relationships. Uh, God's power is to bring healing for you. And, and that's a reality. And so what we wanted to do tonight is that we asked one of our senior students, Megan, uh, to share her story. Um, she experienced some brokenness in a dating relationship, but God brought redemption uh, in the midst of that and, and actually brought transformation from uh, death to life when she gave her life to Christ in the midst of a really painful dating relationship. So we wanted to share her story with you tonight. So go ahead and, and take a look at Megan's story.